Okay, guys, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 12 through 28 today. And he's going to cover several different topics here. So as we go through each section, we're going to read them and we're going to talk about them a little bit, okay? So look with me at verses 12 and 13. He's going to talk about elders, okay? He's going to talk about elders. Look up to me. And I urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Okay, so let's talk about what's going on here. All right, first of all, Paul urges them to recognize the elders who serve and warn them concerning the truth. Now, let me just explain to you what an elder is, okay? An elder is not somebody with gray hair, although they may have gray hair, okay? Usually tend to have gray hair. It's not just talking about an old person. It's talking about a leader. Now, in the Bible, an elder is referred to in three ways. It's referred to as elder, it's referred to as overseer, and it's referred to as pastor, okay? Pastor. Now, whenever it talks about leaders in a church, it always talks about a plurality of elders, that in the in a church, there should be a plurality of elders who oversee the church. And we have that here. We have a, we have a, we have a plurality of elders. There's myself and three other men, and we are the elders of the church, and we give guidance to the spiritual ministry of the church. And we give, and through our gifts, we exercise our abilities and we shepherd the church because in a way, the elders, even though they're not, quote, officially a pa- are pastoring the people. Okay? They're shepherding the people. Okay? So he's saying here that for you as a part of the church, you need to recognize who your leaders are because they serve you and also Warn you. Now, that's a, that's one that we're in our culture today. We don't like the concept of somebody warning us. You're, it's almost like you're accountable. It's not like almost. You are accountable to your spiritual leaders for how you live your life. Okay. So you he, you warn them. All right. Now notice now he's talking about esteeming them. Verse thirteen. He tells them to hold their elders in the highest regard with love. With love. Now, this is a little bit different, okay? Like, I was in the military when I was a young man. And when you're in the military, there is a, there is a structure there, okay? And it's all based upon rank. And so you have enlisted men and you have officers. And so you were to esteem that officer because of what he wore on his shoulder, okay? That bar or two bars or that leaf. You know what I'm saying? Or that bird or that star. You were to esteem him. Now, he may be a schmuck, and a lot of times they were. But you still had to esteem him because that was required. I mean, you couldn't, you probably, you probably had no love for him, okay? But you had to esteem him. Same thing in the enlisted ranks, depending on how many stripes you had on your arm. You had to esteem them. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking the exact opposite. He's talking about you esteem your leaders with what? Love, because you genuinely care for them and love them because of the service that they, that they do in your life. Okay, so he tells them to hold their, 
hold their elders in the highest regard with love. The outcome of acknowledging and esteeming their leaders is what? Peace among them. The outcome of esteeming, acknowledging and esteeming their elders is peace among them. Now, why would that be so? First of all, stop for a moment. Ever been in a church where there was a ruckus? What's usually going on in a ruckus? Somebody's upset about something, right? Or somebody doesn't agree with what the leadership is wanting to do or, or whatever. Or even a fight among the leadership. How many of you have ever been in something like that? Okay. All right, now consider what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If, if, if we are actively seeking to acknowledge and esteem our leaders, how's that going to promote peace? Okay, so even if you disagree, you'll do it in a respectful manner, okay? All right. All right, that's, that's, that's possible. How, how else? I mean, everybody here's sharp. Nobody just fell off the apple cart, okay? So think about it for a moment. How does esteeming and honoring them promote peace? You want to know how it is? You want me to tell you the answer? Okay, I'll tell you the answer. Here's the thing. It is a known fact that most of church problems have nothing to do with the issues. Oh, it's an issue that they raise, but most church problems have nothing to do with issues. You know what most church problems come out of? Personality conflicts. You say, well, I remember when they were fussing about the curtains. The curtains may have been the thing on the surface, but there was a deeper root issue. And the deeper root issue was relationships. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, if you have a board of people, if you have a group of men who honor and care for each other, and you have a church that honor and cares for each other, you know, they're building relationship. Relationships matter more. Unity matters more. You think that if unity is the thing that they're striving for, they're going to, you think they're going to spend a lot of time on petty stuff? No. Because they're concerned about unity in the body. Do you understand what I'm saying? It brings peace. See, a lot of times the stuff in, think about it for a moment. Stop for a moment. Think about the ruckuses that you were involved in. I'll think about the ruckuses that I was involved in in the past. I want you to think for a moment. Was the issue the issue? Really? Or was it something deeper? Chances are it was something deeper. Some sort of personality thing, some sort of control thing, some sort of whatever, and it just manifested itself. In fact, if it hadn't manifested itself in that issue, it would have been another issue. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, this is the point that Paul's telling to the Thessalonians. Wise words, isn't it? Wise words. Okay, so that's what he's talking about elders here. So let's move on. He's going to give an encouragement to each other. He's going to talk about encouraging each other. Look with me at verses 14 through 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, 
See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. All right, so let's talk about these. What we're supposed to do with each other. Now, now some of you are not going to want to do these things because that's not where you're at, but this is what we're supposed to do with each other, okay? Here's the first one. This is the one that some of you are going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't doing that one. Here's what it is. Believers are to warn those who are idle and unruly concerning their sins. Believers are to warn those who are idle and unruly concerning their sins. You want to know why we won't do it? We don't like confrontation. But who says you got to be in their face about stuff? See, if, if you have a genuine group of people who genuinely love each other, you're going to be interacting in their lives. Okay? So let's say, let's say Rob is being idle. He's just being, he's just sitting around eating bonbons and gossiping. Okay? Alright? So, I know that he, alright, so, yeah, bonbons. Okay. And, and I have a relationship with Rob. Now, what, tell me what works. Rob! Get off your whatever and quit eating. Is that going to work with him? Never does. Never does. Hey, Rob, let's get together and we'll have a coffee together. Hey, Rob, how's your week going? How's the fishing? You know, how about that project? Yeah. Hey, I'm, I, I got a concern. I'm bothered. What about this? And if Rob knows I love him, he may not accept what I'm saying, but he knows that I what? Care and love him. You think that goes farther than big finger in his face? Do you know what I'm saying? I just invaded your personal space, didn't I? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? But see, that's what we're called to. How do you do that? When you're in a church, you have to have some intimacy with each other to be able to talk to each other, to, to confront each other, because you know what's best for their life. You know, a lot of times that way of handling it, I've seen where they'll say, yeah, you're right. Very rarely do I see people say no, especially if they're walking with the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? Very rarely. But, I mean, it does exist. So I'm not going to warn you from that, but we do need to take part in each other's lives and interact. All right, here we go. Believers are to comfort those who are faint-hearted and timid. Now, what do you think it means to be faint-hearted and timid? I have no clue, George. Well, tell me what it is. All right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been through something so much, it just seems like stuff is happening one thing after another. You're getting beat down. No sooner than you think you could breathe, something else happens, and you just keep getting beat down and beat down and beat down, you become faint-hearted. I don't know how much more I can take. Believers who are interacting in your life, who know what's, who know what's going on with you, are supposed to come and what? Comfort you. You understand what I'm saying? That's what real church is about, folks. 
It's being there for them. Did you understand what I'm saying? So we just went through a whole long list of prayer requests this morning, major prayer requests from people who are active and a part and a core part of our church here. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that maybe we need to comfort them? Now that goes against our culture here. What do you mean? Well, yeah, we're, we are caring community and we'll do things for other people, but we also tend to be clan oriented and just focus on our own business. And we don't want to, if I use a Pennsylvania term, neb in other people's businesses. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the fact of the matter is, is as a believer, you have a right that's a fellow brother or sister in Christ, and they need comfort. You need to what? Comfort them. All right, let's go on. Believers are to care for those who are weak in the faith and strength. See, here's the thing. Not everybody hears at the same level. Do we understand that? Not everybody hears at the same level. And in fact, your level can even change. You might be strong at one point, but because stuff keeps happening in your life, you could be weakened. The point is, is that you need to be aware and strengthen those who are what? Weak. This talks about interacting in people's lives. Hey, let me go ahead and give you a commercial. Best place to learn how to interact with people's lives. A Resonate Bible study. You know what I'm saying? A Resonate Bible study. Thanks for the commercial, George. You're welcome. All right. Believers are to be patient with everyone. Wow. Do you think we need help with this? You're laughing, Rob. Why are you laughing? Absolutely, yes. Every single one of us. Here's the other one. It's the issue of forgiveness. They are to make sure that people don't seek revenge for wrongs that have been committed. See, that's the natural human tendency. Is, Bruce, you do me wrong, I'm going to get back at you later at some point. You're going to pay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't that what we do? We hold grudges. We'll hold the grudge even after they're dead. Even after they're dead. We're to make sure that people don't seek revenge for wrongs that have been committed. Believers are to pursue what is good for themselves and everyone else. So I'm not just to pursue what's good for me, but I'm to pursue good for everyone else here in the body of believers that's called the church. Do you understand? That's the reality here. That's the reality. Now look with me. Here's some things about your personal walk with Jesus concerning yourselves. Look with me at verse 16 through 22. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, let's take a look at this list. Wow, what a list, right? I want you to pay particular attention to the first three, and I'm going to tell you why here in a moment. Believers, 
The believer is to rejoice in every situation. You're to rejoice in every situation. Well, George, you have no clue what's going on in my life right now. You don't understand what my week has been. George, you don't even understand my last decade. And it hasn't been going well. And I keep hoping, but nothing's... You expect me to rejoice? Yes, I do. Because you have something to be rejoiced about. What's that? Jesus. Because he's there with you. He's giving you strength day by day. He's giving you wisdom. doesn't take away your problem, but he's there with you. He gives you grace. You have something to rejoice about every day. So you're supposed to rejoice in every situation. Here's the second one. The believer is to pray continually. Okay, let's stop for a moment. What do you think that means? Pray without ceasing. Okay, keep up with your prayer life. Bruce says, what do you think? What else? When you hear that, pray without ceasing, what do you think that means? Huh? Okay, pray expecting an answer. How many of you think it means I'm supposed to pray all the time? Nobody takes it that way. Good, because sometimes I heard people say, well, it's like I'm supposed to walk around all day praying a prayer. Okay. It actually is something similar, though, but not quite praying all day long. It means that you interact with God throughout the day. All right, so stop for a moment. What are you talking about? Well, let's remind ourselves what prayer is. What is prayer? Talking to God. Now, okay, let's stop for a moment. Let's say, let's say, okay, Rob, he's not eating bonbons anymore and sitting around on the sofa, okay? But, but let's say Rob and I are working on a project, and let's say we're painting a room, and we're in here painting a room. What do you think Rob and I are going to be doing as we're painting this room? Talking to each other. About what? Everything under the sun. And probably I'll say, you know, hey, Rob, over here, look here, there's a, there's a problem with this wall. There's a crack here. What do we do? You know, I'm, I'm talking to him about the stuff that I'm facing right there with that painting project. But I'm also talking to him about, hey, you know, Maddie went to school today. It's going to be empty in a house without Maddie and Foster's gone. It's just the four of us. You know, so you're, I'm talking to him. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You're talking with him. Without ceasing. In fact, Rob would probably leave and say, that George can't be quiet. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about here is that as you go throughout your day, you're talking with God. Go ahead, Mike. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. we got to know when to be quiet because he does speak back to us. That is very powerful, Mike. That's exactly right. The point is, prayer is not just talking, it's also listening to the leading of the Spirit. Yes, Lord.
Yes. Yep. Did everybody hear what Lori said? Talking to him throughout the day is, is as important, if not more important, than just, quote, having your devotional time. So that you could say, I had my devotional time that day. Or I prayed my prayer, and I said, God bless all the missionaries. Did you understand? Because it's as you go through real life, talk, think about it for a moment. As you go through real life, when stuff happens, that's when you want to talk to somebody about it. Think about it. Last time you had a crisis, what's one of the first things you did? I can almost guarantee you, you picked up the phone and called somebody. What? To let them know what's going on and to get, have wisdom with you to know what to do. I'm telling you, you can do, keep doing that, but also talk to God. Talk to God, okay? All right, so believers are to pray continually. The believer is to give thanks in everything. The word everything there means everything. What does that mean? Good times and bad times. You're to give thanks in everything. Now, I don't need to explain that one further, but see, all three of these are connected. I want you to look at your Bibles. I want you to look. The translators recognize this. Verse 16, the end of verse 16, is it a period or a comma? Period or a comma? You have a King James, right? Okay, King James has a period. Every other modern translation has a comma. Verse uh, 17, period or comma? Comma, okay. Then you come to verse 18, in everything give thanks. After that is a semicolon. Okay? The reason why it's a comma is, is that first 16, 17, and 18 are, are all one sentence. In the, in the Greek, they're all one sentence. So now we come to the last part of verse 18, and here's what I want you to see. Points out that these three are God's will for our spiritual lives. See, I've often heard, and it's primarily been those who've taught from the King James that verse 18, what's God's will for my life is to give thanks. Actually, though, if you look at what's being communicated, it's all three things, and it would make sense, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and what? Give thanks in everything. That's the will of God for you. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want to make the point here. God's will is expressed in his word by commands. Everybody, when you see a command, thou shall not do this, that's God's will, right? When you have an instance where, and he's done it twice in this letter, where he says, and this is the will of God, it's a point to make that this is a command, you're supposed to do it, but it's especially important that you do it because I'm emphasizing that God wants you to do it because I'm telling you this is God's will. Do you understand? So the first one we saw was in chapter 4 that you abstain from sexual immorality. Here we're seeing three things. As far as your spiritual life, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, or pray continually, or what? Give thanks in everything. This is God's will for your life. You want to know what God's will for your life is? How many want to know what God's will for your life is? I can tell you right now what God's will for your life is. No matter what you're facing, no matter where you are, God's will for your life is three things. Rejoice always. 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. You, you just stick with those three, you're going to get along. Seriously. All right, let's go on. Here's some other things he tells us to do. The believer must not quench or suppress the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now, how do we quench the Spirit? Not listen to him? Okay. What were you going to say, Gene? Sin, which is oftentimes a direct disobedience to the Holy Spirit because right before you want to sin, the Spirit's telling you what not to sin, okay? So that's connected with what Bruce is saying here about not listening to the Holy Spirit. See, if you continually not listen to the Holy Spirit in your life and you continue to do your own thing, you're going to quench the Spirit. You're going to quench His work in your life. And you're not to do that. You're not to suppress the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You'd be surprised how often we do that without realizing, and we've got to stop. The Spirit wants to interact in your life, okay? Let's go on. The believer must not despise the proclamation of God's truth. Is that possible as a Christian? Yeah. You can get to the place, especially if you're not right, especially if you're quenching the Spirit of God in your life, where God's Word, you could actually be irritated with it. I'm just being honest with you. And you suppress it because you don't want to hear it. Okay? You probably, if you thought about it for a moment, probably could remember somebody in your life that you've interacted with either in church or family or work who was a believer who just was quenching the Spirit in their life and then when they were presented with God's Word, they what? They suppressed it. They rejected it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They rejected it. Let's go on. The believer is to test all things and to hold to what is good. This is one thing that I think that the church today in the 21st century in North America is not doing. We're not testing anything. We just assume everything is good. Okay? And especially if there's a good evangelical leader telling us to do it, can I give you a clue? Just because they're an evangelical leader that's in the news doesn't mean that they're an evangelical leader. It means that they have a platform where lots of people are giving them money and so they rise to the top and they, quote, speak for everybody. But they don't speak for everybody. Do you understand how many denominations there are in the United States? Lots, hundreds, thousands. And they don't all listen to the same guys. Like, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay, when I left Liberty University, I left a place where I thought that we were on top of the mountain doing everything in the world and we were going to just do it for Jesus. And everybody knew about us. Then God took me to Pennsylvania, worked three summers for her dad, interacted in that church, interacted with other Christians, and I'd say, about Liberty, where's that? They had no clue. Where's that? Who's that? What is that? And then when I went to Canada, they especially didn't know anything about what Liberty was doing. When I came here and interacted among these men, and I talk about, well, you know, Dr. So-and-so, who's that? They had no, no bearing, no clue. Why? Because they were just 
in their own small world, the only reason why they had some sort of is because they had lots of money to be on a show. So, okay, when you see all the evangelical leaders on TV, to be honest with you, I read an article one time that talked about D. James Kennedy. You ever heard of D. James Kennedy? Coral Ridge Presbyterian. And this article was in Christianity Today, and they said that D. James Kennedy, when he flies, he flies with his companion, and they went with him, and he walked through O'Hare Airport, which is in Chicago, big airport. Nobody knew who he was. And what they found was, is statistically, the, the, you know who knows who the leaders are? Pastors and a small percentage of church people. The rest of the world doesn't know who they are. But we listen to them? You've got to test what is good because not everything that comes out of their mouths is what? Good. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, I learned that years ago. I was listening to a program and, uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, moral issues and everything until one day they talked about the evil of the capital gains tax. I had to stop for a moment. What does that have to do with Christianity? Do you know what I'm saying? And why are we taking up airtime on a Christian program to talk about a political tax issue? Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you don't have discernment to test what people are saying... You'll just say, oh, it's evil. How do you know that? Because it may not be affecting you. Did you understand what I'm saying? So that, that's the point. Believers are to test all things and to hold to what is good. What am I trying to tell you? This even has to do with George, me. Don't accept everything I say. You've got to what? Test it to see if it's good and hold to it if it is. Do you understand? you got to be like the Bereans in Acts. Remember when Paul went through? He preached. The Bereans took what he said, and they examined the Scripture to see what he was saying. What am I trying to tell you? Christianity is about thinking for yourself in line with God's Word. Okay? Test what is good. Okay, let's go on. Believer is to abstain or keep away from what? From that which is evil. Keep away from it. I am so amazed sometimes when I see believers that think that they can handle it. They think that they can expose themselves to evil and handle it. You can't. Because evil is evil and evil always seeks to destroy, period. Paul's saying you're to abstain from it and keep away from it. Okay? Abstain from it and keep away from it. Now here's some closing thoughts. Look with me at verse 23 to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Here's some things. First of all, a doxology. He has a doxology. 
okay? Paul prayed that God would sanctify them completely and preserve them blameless. He wants God's work to be completed in their life. That's what he's talking about, sanctification, that they would be set apart for God completely, all right? And that they would be preserved blameless until when? When Jesus comes back, okay? Let's go on. Proclaim that God is faithful and he will do it. Now, you've got to mark that one down. Verse 24, put a star by it in your own Bible. God is faithful, he'll do it. He doesn't go back on what he says he's going to do. Then he says, calls his readers to pray for him and his companions. Folks, you need to be praying for each other, praying for myself. Paul tells them to greet each other with a holy kiss. What are you talking about, George? Okay. It was a cultural thing for them. That's a cultural thing. All right, so for instance, if you were to go to some European countries or even to Russia, the men will greet each other with a kiss on the cheek, sometimes a kiss on both cheeks. It's cultural, and we just we ain't into that, okay? Okay, all right? We don't mind a gal kissing us on the cheek, but we don't want a dude doing that, okay? We'd rather sit on our lazy boy eating bonbons than go through that, okay? Isn't that right, Rob? Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts is what he said, okay. So that's what he's talking about, greet each other with a holy kiss. It was a, it was a term of affection back then. Look, some cultures are completely different. I remember in Asia, excuse me, not in Asia, but in Africa, in East Africa there, walking around and seeing friends, male friends, holding hands with each other. I'm not just talking kids. I'm talking about adult men. If they were friends, they would hold each hand, hands with each other. What's going on there? Nothing. It's a cultural thing. It expressed that they were what? Friends. Do you understand what I'm saying? Friends. Okay. Because here's the thing, in their culture, they didn't express that with their women. Their wives would walk behind them. Do you understand? Their wives would walk behind them. Some of you are like, what? I'm telling you, that's every culture is different, okay? Think I can handle the kiss better? No, you wouldn't. Okay. Here's the next one. Paul commands them to read this letter to all believers. This is a letter not just for the Thessalonian church. This is a letter for us. The encouragements here are for us. And then finally, Paul bestows a blessing of grace on his readers. Okay? A blessing of grace on his readers. 